0: everybody, and welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast where we watch Blizzard Entertainment as many games through our sophisticated array of surveillance devices, also known as just Eyeballs. sitting in our homes and look, watching the computer stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm Matt. I'm the host. With me this week is Joe, the co-host. That was him just now. Uh, True. So, yeah, I'm not hallucinating. I actually is somebody else talking. Um, this so We're going to do something special. Yeah, this time. We're going to do something a little special this week, and we're going to just try and get through as many emails and as many questions as we can because we got quite a few, because we missed a week, um, and we'd like to try and catch up to a degree. Plus, a lot of the stuff that happened this week is real lore-intensive, and if we start talking about that on this show, we're, we already went on for like an hour or something last this weekend, and it, it just kind of gets like, it would be a lot. So we're going to try and, and do questions, although a lot of times the questions are lore-based as well, so it, it all evens up. But if you have a question for the show, you can send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch, and we definitely skim there for the certain questions. Or, you can go to our Discord and you can go to the uh, patron Q&Podcast questions channel. We look there first on our Discord because, you know, our patrons can post there, and we we like to answer our patrons questions because it's one of the things that they're patrons to get us to do. And there's also the just Q questions channel, which we do look in as well. uh, But we look at their second because it makes sense. Uh, anyway, Joe's going to read them to us because he usually does. Uh, and if you don't mind, Joe.
1: Not, <clears throat> wow, I can't talk today. Not at all. Uh, first email. Hey, watchers. Is there a retcon in the most recent cinematic for Bastion? I thought the runes on Forest Morn were related to the Nathrezim, but my read on the cinematic is that we are to believe that they are actually related to whoever the Jailer is and the Maw. What's the connection between the Nathrezim and Shadowlands? is if there is one thanks for all your work love the show and that's from Cressidia, a hunter uh from argent dawn eu you
0: can see why i said that thing about the questions getting to lore
1: yeah that's right there right in front uh matt's probably gonna have a bunch to say about it so i'm actually gonna go first because i feel like it and i have the record button uh this is something that they let loose when they first started talking about shadowlands is that the Nathrezim have a tie to it. They haven't been way specific about it, but they started talking about it way back when, uh, when Shadowlands was first announced, that there is a connection between the Dreadlords and the Shadowlands, and there is a connection there with where Frostmourne was made, where the Helm of Domination was made. So right now, the two aren't mutually exclusive, and the more we find out about it the more we find that, yes, these were crafted there. There is a specific place where they were crafted. It is entirely possible that the Nathrazim have uh, stolen it for their own purposes, which is what they do. They collect magical artifacts throughout space and time uh, and sort of like hoard it like weird void space dragon vampires, question mark. So it's it's not a retcon it's a discovery I think more than anything else it's us finally finding more information about these particular artifacts where they were from in the the shadowlands and how the nathrazine play
0: into that um I'd actually argue with you that it is in fact a retcon okay and here's why it's a retcon because Because retcon is not a dirty word well a retcon just means retroactive continuity Mm mm-hmm and a retroactive continuity is just at any point when you discover story that you didn't have before about something that you did have before. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if at some point someone writes a story where Dr. Doom's face was scarred... you know, When we originally heard, heard about the character Dr. Doom in, in Fantastic Four, his origin story shows him putting a red-hot mask on his face... Because he'd already been in an explosion that blew up and, and injured his face. And he felt he was already scarred, so it didn't matter. Later on, the writer John Byrne, when he was writing Fantastic Four, and like some 20 years later, had Doom revealed to only have one single scar on his face. Yeah. And, but his ego was so great that he couldn't take even that one flaw. And so he felt like just burning his whole face off was just the same.
1: And then they were it later on, even after oh, that.
0: Yeah. But the first retcon that they did with that didn't contradict anything we'd ever seen before. It was just stuff we hadn't seen before. Nobody had shown, you know, Lee and Kirby very deliberately didn't show his face after the explosion. They did not show what it looked like after he'd been in the explosion. So when he put the red hot fit mask on his face, no one had seen what his face looked like beforehand so there was no nothing to contradict that's the thing we've we've come to, uh, to associate retcon with this is the way the story used to be and now they've changed it sometimes it's not a change sometimes it's literally there was room here we've expanded on it
1: yeah there or, are different things or this was I, a bullet point that we never fully fleshed out and now we are
0: and that, that to me is one of the, r- the problems with people. They see that they see something like this, and they start going, "Oh, it's a retcon," and they and they dislike it immediately. There's nothing wrong with retcons. I mean, every aspect of Superman's origin story was retconned. Batman. Well, I aside mean, from the parents dying, but yeah, but I mean, the whole point was the original story we had. If you go back and look at the 1938 action comics where Superman debuts, it's like one page. Yeah, and that's it and yep. it's like you don't see anything about krypton you know nothing about that planet his his powers like formed differently everything about it was different sometimes stuff changes especially in big collaborative works like this uh nothing about the nathazim up to now said that they weren't involved in something more than the legion and in fact we even started to see blizzard moving in this direction in the Chronicle books, when they have yep. Sargeras meet the Nathrasim. Now, at the same time, the other meaning of Retcon also exists in WoW's story. Chris Metzen admitted it. When he came up with the Draenei origin, he had forgotten what he'd already written for them. Yep. Which he, and he, keep in mind, he wrote this in the Warcraft 3 manual. So he had forgotten it. He owned up to that. It was like, yeah, I forgot it, but this new stuff is cool. And we want to keep it, so we're going to do the, we're going to go along the new stuff. That happens sometimes, but this is definitely a first. That's... This is a first kind of retcon. This is the kind of retcon that doesn't contradict anything. There's never anything in Wild story that said that the the Nathrezim didn't do stuff besides work for the Legion or that didn't have anything to do with the making of Frostmourne. Mm-hmm. We knew practically nothing about Frostmourne's origins. We just knew that the, that Kill Jaden had them. Yeah, and he we had Frostmorn. He had the Helm of Domination. We didn't know where he got it.
1: Yeah, and we didn't know anything about the the Helm of Domination. We didn't know about the Lich King as an entity before Nerevar. The Helm of Domination,
0: that... yeah. The, the Helm of Domination does not get named in game until Legion. Yeah, like it's in when you see it in in War in in uh, Wrath of the Lich King, it's not named anything. No one calls it anything. It's just a helmet, you know. So so there's. There were like sources where it was mentioned, but they were like the wow role playing game. Where I love the wow role playing game, I think it's really cool, but it wasn't canon, and they've changed a lot of stuff that was in it.
1: Except for the so, fact that Eshara uh, was an octopus lady, which thank you for keeping that, Blizzard. I appreciate that.
0: Well, and you know, we, we've later on found out that you know, Tandra exists, yeah, but but uh, my point is still valid. They, they they had said at the time this you yeah. can't necessarily ex- expect this stuff to make it to the live game. So did was it a retcon? Yes. It literally was a retcon in that it was retroactive continuity. It wasn't it doesn't contradict anything we have seen before. It doesn't revise anything. It's not like the Drani retcon, which literally was them changing the history or, of the world. Or it's, the light or the
1: light retcon, which don't forget, like that's another thing we, we talked about before. The light wasn't always the light. Originally the the the, the, the de facto religious organization of the Warcraft universe was basically essentially Catholicism versus Satanism uh, I, I wouldn't go I wouldn't core. go
0: quite so far to say Catholicism but it was definitely the, the figure mentioned was God yeah they specifically talk about God capital so,
1: yeah,
0: G yeah so yes there have been a lot of those kind of things over the years uh, keep in mind if you played Warcraft 2 and then never played another Warcraft game and then showed up to play World of Warcraft you would have no idea what night elves were. Yep. Or what Kalimdor was, or because Scourge. those were never, those were never mentioned before. Even the Scourge debuts in Warcraft Three, Kalimdor is supposed to have been ten thousand years old, and you would never have heard of it before, because it, it they just didn't know about it. The people in the Eastern Kingdoms didn't really talk about Kalimdor. It wasn't a thing that that ever debuted in the game. It wasn't important to the events of those games. That kind of stuff happens all the time. That's a retcon too. The entire idea of Night Elves was a retcon. It just wasn't a retcon it, that contradicted anything.
1: And, and all that to go back to the original like to bring it back to the question it, it you're not missing anything as far as like previous things that have been said because nothing concrete was really laid out. We're just now starting to really get that laid out for us. We're starting now to experience it. So it's it is a retcon in the non-malicious way. It is not the the horrible negative retcon connotation that people seem to lean towards. And I don't think that's what you were getting at, Cresedia. Um, but I think this is just a, a simple case of just us discovering way more
0: information. I think we should move on now because the yeah, thing you just said would trigger like another 15 minute discussion from me about the concept of negative connotations in retcons.
1: Which we don't have time to get into, so we're going to keep yeah, moving we don't on. have time. Yeah, so move, move it. <laughs> All right, this one is from Baragorn, a warlock on Cadgar. Hey, Watchers, this is for either podcast. I heard Turalyon is going to will lead the alliance, and I can't help but wonder, is that a good move? He's a hero in general. He founded the Order of the Silverhand, but he's so black-and-white thinking. He's been portrayed as very naive, in a sense, like in Before the Storm, regarding the Archbishop, or even regarding the Naru. Is he actually a logical choice, or am I thinking too outside the world?
0: Um, I don't know if you could say that he founded the Order of the Silver Hand. He was one of the first paladins, but I mean, it's actually the, the Archbishop Archbishop Alansis Fowl, the guy that you just mentioned, is the guy that founded the Order of the Silver Hand. Yep. And Uther and Tyrallian and uh, Satan Dathrothan and uh, Tyrion Fordring and the fifth guy who I always forget, but he's the, he's there's a fifth guy. I, you know, his name starts with a D, and he even shows up in when you're getting the uh, the Twin Blades, the artifacts for the Death Knights, the, the, the Twin Blades. Um, he shows up in Ice Crown Citadel as one of the people that Frostmourne has killed and his soul is pulled in. Um, but yeah, those five guys were part of it, but it was actually Alonsus Fowl who founded it. In terms of Turalyon is black and white thinking, he's a little bit more nuanced than, than that, but he is very... It's always been interesting to Rigid. me that T'ralian went out and, and married a woman whose idea of, like, what's what's the right thing to do? Anything that gets what I want, and T'ralian is the guy who's like, no, we must we must rigidly obey moral codes and precepts. It's like the two of them must just have the most amazing fights, like I, their entire relationship must be based on ridiculously long and detailed arguments, because I can't imagine how you stay together for effectively a thousand years. With this like with such a divergent view of the world like one person is like it's it's almost like that paul Abdul song like opposites attracted seriously is like you know you know you say void and I say light you know what I mean it's it's they're they're not they're not even close um and yet they stay together so you got me uh, is he a good choice for leader I'm gonna let Joe talk about that first before I opine but
1: I I think he is the most logical choice that they would present. Like, who else who else would really lead in such a way that Stormwind would follow? And that's the question that you have to kind of ask because Terellian is a hero of Stormwind. He has a big honking statue sitting out in front of it. It's a name that people would recognize, it's a name that people would trust, it's a name that people would follow. Um, making him king, I don't necessarily think it's the best move for them, but I think it's the most logical. I think it's going to cause, uh, a lot of problems. But I also don't think that he's officially king. I think he's just a regent, right? Regent he, protector? Re-
0: regent and protector of the realm. He basically has the job that they gave to, uh, Bolvar Yeah, Bolvar is there.
1: Yeah, so he's basically keeping things warm until, until Anduin comes back. Um, in that regard not putting the mantle of King on him, I think is smart. Like having him be that regent protector of the realm makes more sense because he is that general. He is that sort of bulwark against the darkness and against evil and, and uh, however you want to spin it. And that's a good position for him. Will he make the best decisions for the kingdom? Probably not because he's not a politician. He's not, he's not made to rule. And that's something that I think, uh, writers like Christy Golden have done a great job sort of uh, showing us as as players in this world is that there is a vast difference between between being a general and being somebody who can govern well. Uh, the entire evolution of Varian Rin revolved around that from him being this wild bloodthirsty arena fighter to learning the right ways to govern not just his people but to keep the alliance intact. In there's a vast difference there i think Terellian can do that in the interim i think that he can keep things together he can keep the wheels on the bus long enough for somebody else to step up and take over as far as an actual governor governorship it goes but yeah i think it's a poor choice long term so i'll let matt go
0: i think first off there's there's two things to keep in mind one is that he was already entrusted with command of the military forces by Anduin before Anduin gets grabbed up. So Anduin put him in charge of the military. Um, What happened when Anduin gets grabbed is that the nobles essentially support him to serve as regent and protector of the realm, because it would be kind of like if, like, I'm trying to think of of a proper American figure. Like, imagine if Dwight D. Eisenhower just showed up, And like we're at war with somebody and one of America's like maybe Patton would be even a better, you know, some famous World War II general who like effectively helped win the war. And now in our moment of crisis, he's back. I feel like his mystique is a big part of this. The nobles are looking around going, oh, that guy. Yeah. Okay. The the glowing dude who's like, he's like, you know, this grizzled, hard-bitten fighter who helped save the world against the legion. And then came back to save us against the Legion again. Yeah, okay. That guy. Let, let, let's have him. He, he'll be in charge. We can all relax now. Essentially, Captain America just showed up. And I'm not saying that Tyrallian is a good choice to actually be king of Stormwind. I, I don't think that that's... I don't think he sees that as his role. Um, there's a neat conversation between uh, Gen Greymane and Matthias Shaw, where Shaw is arguing that Gen should go back and be in charge. Because mm-hmm. Gen's a king. And Gen's like, no, uh, I'm not king of Stormwind, and I'm not high king of the Alliance. Turalyon's role here is basically just what I think, Joe, you said keep the seat warm, keep the wheels on the bus. Yep. That's effectively in a situation like this where like Sylvanas just literally poofed in and grabbed the king of Stormwind out of his keep. People are probably feeling pretty unsettled. Having somebody who's a pro, who's a proven military hero, somebody that you can, like, hope will protect you, it's got a lot of draw to it. You can see why the nobles... And plus, the, the, the House of Nobles has never been that great at, like, making good decisions in Stormwind. I mean, they're the guys who are, like, easily manipulated by... Onyxia. No Onyxia, yeah. To, to, to kind of destroy their own city by, by like, not paying the Masons. So... They're a reactionary bunch. I think picking Turalyon. Turalyon is at least, as as Joe pointed out, he's like an authentic hero of Stormwind. That statue is out front. It's not like Gen. Gen is the king he's of Gilneas.
1: But yeah, like the- how many people of Stormwind know who he is? How many people trust him? Like, does, does the random farmer in Westfall know who who Gen Greymane is? And any think capacity. They probably-
0: If we probably know the name, like he's probably famous enough that people would know who he was, but just because you know, no, not to the same extent, obviously, but, but knowing who he is is fine, but he's not your King. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be ruled by Gilneans. And like, even if they don't know about the whole worgen thing, they still know the Gilneans are a different nation, different people. Or
1: where were the Gilneans when we had this problem the first time? Like, how many yeah. people still gonna have that mentality? Whereas, if you know Turalyon goes, you know, in this time of conflict, we need to do this. Oh, I've heard of him. I've gone to Stormwind Market. I've seen his statue. I've heard the stories of what he did to save us. Like, there's this sort of instant recognition and and, and borderline hero worship that plays into that, and it 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 just works better in that favor.
0: Yeah, even though Teralion is actually from Lordaeron, like he's not from Stormwind, but it's sort of like he was—he's effectively the poster child for the Alliance. Mm-hmm. And th- so there's just there's just a lot there's a lot of reasons why it makes sense. It's a it is a reasonable decision for them although, to make.
1: Although I auto, auto Luke and Chad has made a, a very interesting point. In game, we've seen very precious little of Stormwind nobility. Uh, that would actually be very interesting. And especially during this time with everything that's going on, if we started to see more of that, because we, I mean, we don't really know what houses are left or who's still a noble at this point. Right. Like it hasn't really been fully fleshed out. Like we've got some, some names, but not a lot. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: I I don't, I can think of a couple, like one of them is dead. Now he was the architect for us and our garrison and he died in, in warlords. Uh, that's like one of the few no- members of the house of nobles I can remember. So yeah, it, it's not, it's not something we've seen a ton of. We know Tiff and Wren, like Tiffin and Olarian, the Larian family is a member of the house of nobles. We've not seen a lot of them, so we don't actually know much about them. So it would be a good time to see maybe, maybe they have a representative who's hanging around saying to Turalyon, you know, we supported you, but, but we're not down with what you're doing now or totally down with what he's doing. We don't know, but yeah. It, it makes sense. It is a logical decision. It is... Whether or not he'd be a good ruler, I, I don't know. I feel like his, he is very much a military person. Like, he's been fighting wars from his perspective, he fought the Legion for a thousand years. That's how he views things. He sees this as a combat. It's a conflict. He's probably really bad at peacemaking, because he's never really had to.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, honestly, well, thinking about it, he probably views this as a siege from the Shadowlands.
0: Yeah, and so... Whilst we're dealing with Sylvanas, that might be the right approach, but I mean, he's probably not going to be the best guy to try and coordinate anything with the Horde, if the Horde was to say, you know, we should go in together to try and save our people. I don't know that he'd be all that helpful. No. Then again, it's probably useful that, that we're going to have Bolvar to deal with for that.
1: Although I would like to see the Defias try to do something with Tyrallen around. I think that would be hilariously entertaining to see how what his reaction would be to that. Uh, But I think we can move on to the next one. Uh, This one comes from our good friend 6K. Uh, Question for the anything. So at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar, Thrall goes up to finish off Garrosh, and Varian doesn't stop him. This leads to the trial never happening, an Alternate Draenor never opening up, and Gul'dan 2 not summoning the Legion, and Varian living, and Arzara never getting the Tidestone, and Vol'jin maintaining control of the Horde, and Sylvanas not going rogue and collapsing the planes of afterlife, and everything is all good. What other great moments in Butterfly effects are there in WoW?
0: I picked this question so I could point out something to you. You are mistaken about the trial. (laughs) Yeah. If we, if they had killed Garrosh, then the, the four ancients of Pandaria, the, the, the August Celestials, would have held us responsible for everything that happened to Pandaria. And they would have tried to kill us. Yeah. They said as much at the end of War Crimes. That they, it wasn't Garrosh they were putting on trial. It was the Alliance and the Horde. And it was the fact that they gave Garash a fair trial that made them decide not to take out their anger on us for having basically brought a race war to their continent. So had Thrall killed Garash there, we'd be engaged in a war with the, the August Celestials on Pandaria's shores. Maybe we would have won it, but it would have been really bad because the August Celestials are also part of the wild gods.
1: Yeah, and we've seen what happens there. Like, we've had some pretty, pretty interesting interactions with them.
0: So guys like Ursok and Ursol, and we we fought Goldrin, and we know what they're like. We know that they can come back from death. We know, for instance, that the Jade Serpent literally does come back from death, and that we delayed her resurrection cycle. We could end up, We could have actually ended up with an Ardenweald problem three game, three expansions early if we had done this. So... All this stuff you're saying, some of it doesn't happen. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it would be better. It doesn't mean it would be worse either. It would be different problems. Maybe the Legion would still be out there right now, preparing to invade, trying to come up with another plan, and maybe they would have figured out a way to invade while we were in the middle of fighting the four, you know, the August Celestials. There's, it's that that's something to consider. In terms of butterfly effect stuff, however. There's a lot of stuff like that, and that's the whole premise of the Caverns of Time dungeons.
1: Yeah, that's the whole purpose of the the, the Bronze Dragonflight to begin with, to maintain the timeline.
0: To prevent you from going back and changing the one thing that changes something else. And you see the Infinite Dragonflight repeatedly trying to do it. Like, they go back and try and... uh, Essentially, they're trying to kill Medivh, as near as I can tell.
1: Yeah, they try to kill Medivh, they try to kill Thrall, they uh, try to... Oh god, they they mess up so many things. Like they,
0: and it's like think about it. Like they, trying to kill Mediv, you can kind of understand that from a perspective of you know it would make things better. But trying to kill Thrall. Thrall, that what did you know? You try and kill Thrall, basically that means that there's no horde presence when the the Legion invades in the Third War. There's yep. no orcs and Torin and trolls helping anybody fight the Legions' march on on the on N-Nordisil. There's possibly no alliance over there, because without the horde having run to another continent, does do, does like Medivh just give up? Does Medivh figure out a way to get them like people from the alliance to get over there? Because it was the horde who went over there first, and that's how Medivh you know got things rolling to prevent the legion from destroying the world. That's it's when you stop thinking about what would have happened if the infinites had got their way. I mean, trying to kill Medivh. Does that mean that the you know he's already possessed by Sargeras at this point? When you see him in the Caverns of Time dungeon, the Black Morass. Mm -hmm. So if you do manage to kill him, the Horde has knows about the portal. Gul'dan knows how to open it. It
1: just delays it, if 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 anything, right?
0: If if it even does that, what you may have done is prevented the Horde will come through and invade. Medivh's dead. Which is, you know, he's got Sargeras in him, so I assume Sargeras gets ejected. So Sargeras is now free to try and come back some other way. Meanwhile, there's no way to stop the horde from invading. Yeah, this does, does. It doesn't. I don't know if it gets better or worse. It's it's interesting to think about, but it's hard to. There there's some there's some other
1: pieces of this though that I think are are they almost feel like inevitabilities, and it's the whole. What if, you know, Azhar didn't get the Tidestone? She is one of those characters that plans within plans, within plans, within plans. We don't know that she wouldn't get the Tidestone. It's one of those things where any event might just lead to her getting it a different way. Um, there's this concept of fixed points in time that is brought up a lot in uh, various media uh, and some theory in, in real life. Uh, where there are these points in time that can't be altered. And if you've ever watched a you know, Doctor Who episode, it comes up there too. Um, there are potential moments, because of the nature of the Bronze Dragonflight and the nature of the universe that we live in, that these things might still happen. There's the whole Sylvanas not going rogue. Well, Volgen didn't have to die for that to happen. That was already happening. That was happening... Before, it just maybe would have happened a different way. We've already seen that, like if if Helia is the architect of, you know, bringing Sylvanas, if that was her job to bring her into the fold, which we don't we don't know Moisala takes some credit for that, but let's say that it was that meeting that solidified everything. We've seen that she can project out of her pocket, right out of that little pocket dimension in in where she is, which we assume is a piece of the Shadowlands. She can reach outside of it, just like Odin can reach out of his little prison. What if she found a different way? We don't know if she was able to talk to the Valkyrie before that. Uh, uh, from chat, you know, there's uh, wolf parable asks, what if Arthas hadn't picked up Frostmourne? His soul was already starting down this perilous journey. And if you look at it, it it took how long before he got Frostmourne? He didn't do like all of the horrible things after Frostmourne. He did a lot of horrible before, things before Frostmourne, too.
0: Before he touched Frostmourne, the things he did were burn Stratholme, um, go to Northrend without his father's permission, uh, so brand everybody. Yeah, burn the boats of the people that were there so they couldn't leave. Uh, when his father's messenger showed up with a message, get your butt back here, I didn't tell you you could do that burn the boats hired mercenaries to do the boat burning and then basically allowed those mercenaries to get slaughtered for it mm-hmm. you know he betrayed the, he betrayed his men and he betrayed the mercenaries that were fought for him that's all before he got Frostmourne. he was already off the rails now that doesn't mean he would have turned into like you know the lich king or what have you but the I whole point dread, of,
1: dread knight arthas is pretty scary as well
0: well the thing is is that Frostmourne was put there for him to get in the first place. That was a trap for him. Yeah. Had he somehow managed to not pick it up, uh, Nirzul would have gone, okay, that guy's not going to work. Who else can I put this thing in front of? And and we forget that the ne- the Dreadlords were helping this whole plan. Everything they did, they did to lure him in. So at this point, it's almost like if you don't want Arthas to get the, the, the Frostmourne, you basically have to kill for Arthas before he ever like meets Mal'Ganis. Because from the moment that Arthas, you know, had a name to put to all his woes, that's that's what drove Arthas, you know, to his to his final fate. It was all this stuff is happening. I can't stop it. I can't protect my people. It's that guy, and then he chased that guy. It's it's what's the old saying? To the ends of the earth, I'll follow yeah. you to the ends of the earth. He literally followed him to the ends of the earth once he yep. had a face to associate with his woes. And that face was Mal'Ganis. Once he saw somebody that he could blame for everything horrible that was happening, he wouldn't, he wasn't going to stop. And that's the thing to keep in mind here. It's not that things automatically would have happened. In fact, one of the things I liked about World of Zadrano was thinking about what life was like on the Azeroth of that world. Yeah. Because the Azeroth of that world, we, we saw the whole moot the whole deal with Garash refusing to drink the Gr- with Grom refusing to drink the blood Mannoroth getting chained up I mean you know basically killed and his corpse taken Gul'dan getting chained up all that stuff happened 5 years before we get to Draenor so in that time instead of the horde invasion of Azeroth they got 5 years of relative peace yeah that would have been interesting for me to see what does what does an Azeroth look like where Arthas is a child and there's no there's no pressure, there's no war to force him to get ready. There's no, you know, Anduin doesn't, you know, Anduin. I keep saying Anduin. I mean Varian. Varian doesn't see his father get killed in front of him. There's no horde on that world. The various human nations just go on as they were. What does that world look like? The you know, Kalimdor stays isolated. The Night Elves stay in their forests. It's it's a world that doesn't change because the first war never happens. What does that world look like? There's a butterfly effect for, that they could have explored and then chose not to. That I'm curious about. Now, obviously, there's plenty of threats on Azeroth. Um, I mean, we just Deathwing doesn't go anywhere just because the the, the Horde doesn't invade. Um, we saw all those go old anywhere. gods that are.
1: We saw all those old gods that are shoved away.
0: Yeah, all that stuff is still there. So you get a different world, but you definitely get one where bad stuff is still going to happen. And the interesting thing differently.
1: And the interesting thing about it is how more how much more catastrophic are some of those bad events? Because there's no horde, uh, that means that the Torn are still doing their thing. They might have been wiped out with their uh, their battle with the, by the, the time, centaurs. By
0: the time we get to Warcraft three time. Yeah. I mean the, the Torn are in a bad way. Now the Torn wouldn't have been affected by that point by the first and second wars because they were completely isolated. But without Thrall showing up, does Cairn get get killed? Does Bane get killed? Because remember it was Rexar. Who came through the dark portal that saved Bane Bloodhoof? Yep. If there's no Rexar to do that, does there's Bane no Bloodhoof Bane. get killed by, by Harpies? Does because Karen like lose it? Does do, do the, the High Mountain get, you know, are the High Mountain the last remaining Toran because the, the Bloodhoof and their you know various other Toran that eventually form Thunder Bluff don't form Thunder Bluff? Like do they stay nomadic? There's a ton to consider. If the Legion decides to invade some other way, like what if Kill Jane just goes f it and lobs the the Lich King onto that world anyway? Now there's no or and, and there's is, none of that stuff. There's, as, just, it's, there's so many things to think about here.
1: And everybody's favorite "What if?" What if somebody else takes up the mantle of the Lich King? Uh, like the the every everybody's present. Like what if if events in Jaina's life lead her to such despair that she winds up taking up the mantle instead of Arthas for different reasons? Maybe she doesn't, you know, burn cities to the ground, but what does that world look like
0: murden was in the chamber yeah murden found the sword first murden knew where it was murden led arthur to it yeah what if murden was it up yep there, you know there's a lot there a lot of possibilities we can't sit here and just tell you everything would have been great if only x hadn't happened because uh, there's always more variables than you can possibly calculate i mean everything you've listed you could just as easily say, OK, then this bad thing would have happened and it would have been different because of this. And
1: the, and the interesting thing that I like to, to think about those is how much worse could it have been? Uh, when you look at these events, would they have been worse than what we have? And I think that's kind of interesting because every, a lot of times when people ask these questions, it's wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be better? No. What if it? what if we are living that best timeline? What if we are living the best possibility of all
0: those, right? This is something I I always find kind of amusing to think about. If you started playing in World of Warcraft, you've always been playing in a timeline where people went back in time and changed the effects of the War of the Ancients. Yep. Up until Warcraft 3, we were in one timeline. And then after the, the novel trilogy, the War of the Ancients, several people went back in time and because of an orc named Broxigar who only was on our world because the Burning Legion had used the orcs to invade it, that orc named Broxagar stops Sargeras from coming through the portal during the, th- you know, during the war. So if Broxagar wasn't there to go back in time, does, does Sargeras step through? Does he invade our world 10,000 years ago? And what happens then? Does he successfully destroy or wake up Azeroth or can corrupt Azeroth or whatever he was trying to do? Does he do it? Like, think about it. Things could be a lot worse. So, yeah, I, I that's just... It's never as simple as, okay, this thing didn't happen, so everything would be better. I mean, like Gul'dan 2 not summoning the Legion, Varian living. Varian could have got himself killed in a lot of different ways.
1: Legion could have got there any number of ways. Like, don't forget, yeah. like, a lot of the stuff with the Legion, they were still flying here through ships. Like, when we are in the Legion expansion, we go to their fleets. We can see their ships heading to Azeroth everything we've dealt with up to that point are shortcuts they're shortcuts they were still coming so yeah tons of stuff there we could we could sit here and talk about this all day long but I think we should probably move on we got some more that we want to get to uh, this next one uh, it comes from J.S. schneck blood elf warrior on rune totem greetings watchers to somewhat related questions. As a background, on all but one of my horror tunes, i.e. my other 15, uh, I picked all of the pro-Sylvanas choices throughout BOA. Will there be any follow-up in these decisions or any impact on how NPCs interact with you due to these decisions in
0: Shadowlands? Um, uh, no. <laughs> uh, not yet, at least. I think there's like a couple of times where like there's, a, there's subtle references yeah. to Sylvanas loyalists, but I don't think it's going to be... You know, I don't think at any point Sylvanas like sends you a message going betray the Horde again, or anything like that. I don't think it's. I think that they wanted to go for a story that's much more direct this time around.
1: Yeah, and even if in in, there might be stuff that gets put in later on as we get closer towards uh, anything dealing directly with Sylvanas because. Right now, most of what's happening in Shadowlands is dealing with the immediate threat of the drought and all of the different fires that are going on, because that's that's one of the things about each of the zones, is each zone has its own crisis that it's dealing with, whether it's the betrayal in Maldraxxus, the... The vampires going crazy and Revendreth, uh, the stuff that happens in, in Ardenwell and in the, the Darkness of Bastion, while it all has a, a source that it stems from, these are all individual crises that we don't... As players, we're just barely piecing together what's happening in the grander scheme of things. So there might be things later on that happens where... Uh, maybe there'll be a quest where, you know, you get a missive from Sylvanas. I don't know. I would actually like to see that personally. I'd like to see some divergence there. Um, maybe it leads to the same points. Maybe it gets you to the, from point A to point B in a different way. Um, but I also talked about this with Revendreth. I'd like to see them come back with branching paths for current storylines. Uh, there are some quests that I don't feel comfortable completing in Revendreth that I would love the option to say, yeah, no, nope, I'm good. Uh, Just like with Sylvanas. Nah, I didn't back her on those. So I'd be like, okay, no. uh, I'd like to see that playback later. But right now, nothing so much in-game. Anything else to add to that
0: one? No, I think we're pretty much on the same page.
1: All right. This one comes from our friend Tetsemi. Uh, Question for the podcast. What is your favorite WoW NPC voice line, and what is your least favorite? Both mine come from Ice Crown Citadel, as it seemed to have very memorable lines. Favorite, Professor Putrefied. Great news, everyone! The slime is flowing again! Because I got to be in the Abomination as an off-tank. Least favorite, Cindergrossa. Your pathetic magic betrays you! Because we heard this Times Infinity while attempting to do her achievements, and failing, and failing, and failing. So favorite and least favorite quote in her voice-lining game.
0: Uh, I don't know what my least favorite is. I'll have to think more about that. I can give you a favorite now, then you can talk about it, and then I can try and come back with my sure. least favorite. My favorite is Let the Games Begin from from Blackwing Lair. Because Blackwing Lair was just my... F- the fight against Nefarian, the, 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 the win against Nefarian, was the first time that I dps a raid.
1: Because,
0: mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I did a lot of tanking in, Black, in Blackwing Lair. But you didn't need six tanks on Nefarian. You needed like two or three at the most. Um, Maybe one to taunt off of Nefarian when the the warrior tank got the berserker thing. That was maybe it. If you even did that, a lot of times you didn't even bother, you just healed them through it. Um, And cut maybe a tank or two to catch all those ads as they were streaming out the first time, and then to try and catch them when they got reanimated near the end. But... Like we we had like six to eight tanks at some points, and you just didn't need them. Like you needed them for trash, but you didn't need them for bosses. So, on 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 Nefarian, it was very much a okay. We've got our prospect main tank. He is obviously going to be tanking this fight, and we've got the other guy who's got most of the other tanking gear, and we've got a a druid who wants to go bear really bad, and we're going to let her, even though it's probably not a good idea. So we didn't need any other tanks. so everybody else went DPS. <clears throat> and so I got to DPS that fight. That was my first raid fight dPSing and yeah, I, I just I, it stuck with me.
1: My favorite and least favorite uh, so my favorite actually comes from Mists of Pandaria, specifically the Storm Stout brewery and it's from Uncle Gao and it makes me laugh every single time it is pure joy and it's yes 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 no 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 yes no peppers every single time i just laugh i just it gets me it makes me happy every single time that's why it's my favorite one my least favorite is an illusion what are you hiding because i heard that eight million times in real life because i worked with a person who absolutely loved doing that place, but would walk around the office that I was in and just repeat that 18 times a day. I could not escape that line in real life or in game, no matter what happened. So, yeah, I, those those are my two lines. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I'm having a hard time coming up with one I really hate. I mean, the Cinder Grosso one's not great, but I don't hate it. It's kind of annoying, but it doesn't like... I don't get that worked up. I don't know. I mean, yeah. And and Lock what was it Locktar? Have you come to serve the horde? I don't like that one anymore. I, I I really don't have a lot. I, I, I Sorry, I feel bad that I, I, should, and, I should I should be really annoyed and, by and, something. But. And
1: you should. And if you have a a favorite line out there or a least favorite line, that's perfectly fine. Everything hits everybody differently. Um, there are certain lines that echo with us ever so differently, but. Yeah, I think that I think that covers that one let's move on to Ergu- Thrall's balls thrall's balls that's a that's a classic yeah. and I don't have to oh, edit God. that one out because thats we're canonically quoting there <laughs> um erguo I I apologize if I'm pronouncing your character name wrong uh the gift of nazoth and he anyone else still have it or do you prefer your helm transmog over a third eye um I got rid of that ASAP because I don't like technically noodly things in my brain
0: not only did I not get rid of it, I never got it. I very <laughs> deliberately did not do that quest. I never saw it. I never looked at it. I've done, none of my characters uh, on Alliance side have done it. I just straight up was like, nope, I don't need to see this. And I certainly don't need to let Nis off, put his, t- his tentacles in my brain. I learned from the Saranite Codpiece incident.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Good old Cod Codpiece. Um, uh- I'm actually interested to, to see, because this one thing we do talk about sometimes, because Mitch is very much a uh, dark servant of Nazoth and has been since the very beginning of time. Uh, so we talk about how I think he still has it, and I think Corey does as well. Uh, so occasionally, work chat will devolve into the tentacle bros versus everybody else. So I'm curious out there in, in our listenership, uh, how many of you decided to keep the eye? Uh, how many of you did pulled a mat and didn't do it in the first place, and how many of you cleansed it? Let us know. I'd, I'd love to, see, to hear what your decision was and why you made it. Um, and just to go back a little bit, we have some quotes in chat that I think are absolutely great and I don't want to skip them. Uh, Molly Razor says uh, her favorite is Cho'Gall and Bastion of Twilight. Words, 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 the master wants murder! Which is a great yeah. line.
0: When I actually, That's one that I actually do sometimes. Like I go around, words, 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 the master <laughs> wants murder!
1: I have an because audio I, file of you doing that, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I actually really do like that one. Um, Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, And then we have another one, which is uh, from Wolf Parable. Uh, The entire Vol'jin speech uh, from the Troll Start Zone, where he talks about killing Garrosh, that is actually a really good speech, and is one of the things that solidified uh, Vol'jin as a really solid leader. (laughs) Uh, But we can move on to our next question, which is from our good friend Shadana. Question for the Blizzard Watch podcast slash the Q. Why is Blizz so wedded to the idea that high-level raiding is the only PvE way to get high-end trinkets and weapons. I raided and cleared every raid through BFD, but had to stop because of added professional responsibilities. Uh, I did not do it primarily for the weapons or trinkets. I did it because this is what I wanted to do. Something difficult that took work and made me feel accomplished. And the people I raided with who stayed around for raid after raid were the same mindset. So why do horrific visions not drop higher eye-level weapons and trinkets? Soloing those things in five masks when it was new was as difficult as heroic raiding when it was new. Limiting higher-level weapons to raids does not make me or anyone I know who sticks around actually seek
0: raiding. This is an interesting... Oh, to a degree, I'm just going to say, uh, to a degree they don't think that way. Trinkets, maybe. Although I've I've got one character who's like solid eye level 460 right now. And that character is geared entirely through world questing. After having done heroic... I basically did a... I did not horrific visions. I did a couple horrific visions on the character, but not that many. I, I did mostly just the the lead the Nazoth assaults, the old god attacks, and world quests. And just as you go through, you get up to... Gear goes up to eye level 445, mm-hmm. see, including weapons and trinkets. You can get for, you can get solid 450, 445 trinkets from them. Um, are they the best trinkets? I mean, there's an, there's an argument made that you get better stuff with, like, procs and cool in coolness from raids that you don't get from other sources. But you could certainly do... Like, if you're doing uh, Mythic Plus Dungeons... You can get weapons and trinkets I, that are up there.
1: Yeah, I've gotten better gear out of uh, Mythic Plus because of itemization than I have ever out of Raiding. If that makes any yeah.
0: difference. Um, well, it is. I mean, I do get what you're saying that it's still kind of it's group content. But I think Blizzard is always going to kind of prioritize group content that way because it is part of the massively multiplayer thing that they are pushing here. That is what what WoW is supposed to be. I think, I think that's where they're going with it. Let me, Uh, Joe's been trying to talk. So I'm going
1: to let, let me put on my, I don't know what they're talking about behind closed doors, but I've talked development with a bunch of my friends in the industry. Uh, There's this real fine line that you walk sometimes uh, depending on how much content you offer in your game. If your game has a thousand modes to play, how do you make them all equal? Or do you worry about, letting each one have its own incentive. Uh, Like you're mentioning five masks. I'm on a class where I'm I'm not a top-tier player anymore. I'm old, I've slowed down, I get that. But even me, I have a ridiculous hard time doing horrific visions. That means that I don't really go through that solo. I have to find friends to help me with it, and that's me as a player. Whereas me as a player... I can raid with my friends in a way that better fits my skill uh, and my playtime, and it gives me rewards that I feel are on that same par. We have a raider in my group that does uh, maxed out those masks, like, to the point where it was, like, the most efficient thing he could do, um, and, and for those of my guild that listen to this, uh, Spider-Zido is an outlier, but he's an outlier for a reason. He, he does this to the extreme in anything he does. But it's what do you do to make things enticing for players without alienating another piece of content? Um, so, like Matt said, you can still get higher level things from other ways. Like group content for me is the way I get that. So, maybe not raiding, but I'm getting amazing gear right now from doing mythic pluses with my groups. And I were talking like better tier, better stuff at better item level or same item level as the raid better stats better corruptions better everything it's it's a balancing act and it's really difficult to do in such a way that pleases everybody and as matt pointed out one of the core mechanics of this game is the fact that it is an mmo and that means interacting with other players like i joke about final fantasy 14 a lot and i say that it is the best single player game i've played in the last several years I did no group content in that whatsoever, played it like a single player RPG all the way up to the, the, the last content and didn't interact with anybody. I saw people occasionally in game where I would like sit there on my fat cat or like emote to them and that was it. Whereas, wow, that draw of that group content has always been such a core part of it, whether it's been running dungeons, whether it's been running uh, battlegrounds. Uh, We talked about this a couple weeks ago, where uh, back in the day during Vanilla, when I was on Zul'jin, and I was really heavy into the PvP scene there, everybody knew each other. Whether you were in the same guild or not, like everybody, because I was playing predominantly Alliance side at that point, all the Alliance players knew each other. There was this big sense of community, and that was our group. That was the content there, right? That sort of core identity to this game If they start making it so that it's skewing towards a single-player content, is it still an MMO? And I think Final Fantasy struggles with that sometimes. And I don't think WoW does because, again, raiding and mythics and braided battlegrounds and stuff like that are such a core part of the identity. And again, you'll, you'll find these points where you can please some people, you're not going to please everybody. So, Shad, I'm sorry if you aren't getting exactly what you
0: want out of it, but there are other ways to get it. Um, and, you know, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I get what you're saying in terms of, like, when I was leveling up, especially back when this expansion started, getting a decent weapon or a trinket was just a nightmare, and it is always harder to get trinkets. Absolutely it is. Trinkets are one of those slots that's just... Even if you get a drop from a raiding dungeon half the time, it's a drop that's completely useless. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh god, this trinket. Um, I, I personally, I am not one of those players who likes a trinket that I have to like push a button to make work. And the reason I don't like that is because of things like the global cooldown, which they are helping adjust in Shadowlands, so a lot of stuff like the DPS cooldowns are coming off the GZD. But... Having to hit a, a trinket that you pr- that you push a button to make go, you now have to work into your rotation. And I hate that. There's a trinket in the, uh, I think you want to say the mother load that was a DPS trinket with a push button, and I got it and I never once remembered to use it. Because I already have enough stuff to push. I have enough buttons. I don't want to have to push more buttons. I certainly don't want to have to push buttons on a trinket, because then when I get a better trinket and replace it, that button doesn't work anymore. So now I have to make a new button. And that's that's not my thing. I don't want that. Sure. And that's that kind of stuff also complicates the issue, because they they deliberately make some stuff better than other stuff. Even stuff that's the same rough item level, they deliberately make some some loot more compelling, more interesting. Mm-hmm. That's just because it, it gets people interested. They they're like, ooh, I want to get that one really cool thing whether it's cool because it looks cool or it's cool because it does a cool thing. That's, that's part of the design that you have to keep in mind. I agree with you to a degree that there should be more flexibility in that they should, but honestly, this expansion has allowed me to get the weapons that I, I needed mm-hmm. to get on characters that don't raid at all. I've got raid gear on my, my original main, but then I've got other characters who don't have raid gear. All their weapon drops are like from emissary caches. All their trinkets are from when the, tor- the not the Tortolans, yeah, the Tortolans. Yep. Uh, when when they come around and do their ring trinket thing, that's where I've gotten all the trinkets on that character. And they do fine. And they, their item level, like I said, is around 460. Uh, you can get decent gear. It's not the best of the best. I think you're just going to have to accept that the best of the best is going to probably always be Raid and Mythic Plus gear. They're just not going to make a single player. The closest I think we're going to get is maybe Torcast will have something. Because Torgas is set up to be eminently permanently soloable. I
1: yeah, and I think Torgas is gonna be a good reward for players that want to play solo. I think I think that's gonna be one of those places where you can actually start getting some of that like that solo player experience to get some gear. Um, I don't know what it's going to be yet. I don't even think they know what it's gonna be quite yet, but the way they talk about it, it feels like it's going to be sort of that experience. Uh, All right. Our last question comes from Grom Totem. I like that name because I like totems. Uh, I'm Grom Totem from Tarn Mill EU, and I have a question about leveling in Shadowlands. During leveling in BFA, a lot of players felt uh, felt around 116 that they were getting less strong instead of gaining power. This is because you lost the legendaries and probably some internal scaling. A lot of level 100 to 102 players actually could easily kill a level 120 player that wasn't geared. Is Blizzard looking at this for Shadowlands? I already see that Corruption will be disabled in pre-patch, but what about Azerite gear? Uh, thank you for looking into
0: this. I don't, I don't know if Azerite's disabled um in the new expansion Uh, but i will tell you right now a lot of stuff like legendaries from legion and all that stuff is straight up not working like it's become legacy gear and the legendary power and stuff doesn't work uh so you can level and get those pieces and you don't necessarily have to like keep them until like a certain level and then they turn off and your power drops that kind of stuff is not really happening um as for azurite though i honestly couldn't tell you i don't Recall. I forgot to look actually. But I know I, that I, I don't I,
1: think it does. I think I think that I think Azeroth is actually turned off in Shadowlands.
0: I think it's turned off in the Shadowlands themselves. Yeah. It's not turned off on Azeroth.
1: Which is um, I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, I I don't see a problem with that. You want people to replace their gear as soon as possible. You don't want people holding on to gear cuz it's better until like a certain level. Like the thing you're talking about in in, in BFA, that's not new. I'm going to tell you a story about playing Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, I went into Wrath of the Lich King on one character uh, who had the uh, the Warglades of Azanoth. The Warglades of Azanoth lasted until, like, level 80. Like, you did not replace them until very late because they were insane. Mm-hmm. They were very good. Now, that's a problem, but it's not a huge problem because not a ton of people had the warglades of Azanoth. But now I'm going to tell a story about the Burning Crusade. When weapons like Thunder Fury and Sulphuras were so good that Thunder Fury was even used as a main tank weapon in Karazhan. And nothing in Karazhan would replace it either. Even though the, the item level, and they didn't really tell it item level back then, but Karazhan gear was so much better. It was 10 full levels better. And yet the Thunder Fury proc was so good for tanking that people would just keep using it.
1: They they nerfed uh Hand of Ragnaros because well they I'm sorry, they didn't nerf for Hand of Ragnaros. They nerfed Wind Fury because of Hand of Ragnaros because at that same time it was still one-shotting people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I had a Hand of Ragnaros. Yeah. And my friend rolled a shaman and we went because remember we didn't have shaman before that alliance side. My friend rolled a shaman and we went in and I killed a torn in one shot at yep. level 70 yep because the fireball proc would just go off three times when thunder fury would every time thunder fury proc the hammer had a chance to proc the fireball and people would die
1: yeah and when you had wind fury where each swing was potentially four swings whoo yeah
0: Yeah, it didn't matter that the weapon was like significantly out of date but i remember like my hand of ragnaros i was like there were weapons that dropped i think in i want to say Negrand. That would just...
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. The crystal weapons.
0: So, the the weapons in Negron were the first time that an axe dropped that was even close to as good as Sulf back then. Yep. And in, in, I kept Sulf, like, I was using Sulf as my offhand. At, at, no, not as my offhand because they didn't have Titan's grip yet. I was using Sulf as a slam warrior up until, like, I got, like, a good drop from, I want to say. Uh, black morass there was an epic that dropped from black morass on on heroic mm-hmm. not not normal heroic black morass there was a, a two-handed epic that dropped that i finally replaced it with because it just had so much more dps i think it was like 125 or something it was just it's very hard to remember because we have had so many item squishes since but yeah gears had this problem forever the absolute top tier gear you get at the end of an expansion it's always so good that if they if they tried to tune everything where the starting gear for the next expansion was that good, you'd basically blow people's brains out. Like, they'd be destroyed trying to fight the things to get it. Because you, you can't tune the, the... You have to tune the expansion for people who don't have top-of-the-line, end-of-expansion gear. Because then they don't have a way to even get it. Because we're, we're, no one's doing those raids anymore. So... Yeah now it, it's, it's always been a problem it it I think Shadowlands is going to see because of the way the leveling works it's going to see an improvement in this way
1: I, I actually think it's better in Shadowlands than it's been for a while even in BFA um, and I think this is an inherent flaw of Azerite gear in BFA Azerite played such an important role in how much damage you did how much healing you did that it was very evident when you didn't have the right gear or the right setup. Um, When you get to Shadowlands, because none of that works, that's not a bad thing. And instead, they're just basically sources of stats. The focus is instead on your Covenants, your Covenant abilities as you're moving from Covenant to Covenant and doing those things in the stories. uh, And less about, do I still have this gear? Because I remember even moving into Battle for Azeroth and previous expansions, uh, we can go back to when there were set bonuses. Like, calculating how long you kept set bonuses. I think this is the right approach and I think it allows them to make the leveling leveling experience a lot better. I haven't encountered anything that made me feel woefully underpowered while leveling to max level in the beta right now. Um, I've replaced gear. It felt fine when I replaced it you can notice a little bit of lag when you needed to replace it at least as an elemental shaman uh, or as a resto shaman where you're like okay maybe I'm a little bit behind here but because you're basically going from and I'm being hyperbolic in this but like from something that had plus six intellect to plus 20 intellect that 14 yeah that's big but it's not as big as going from 20 to 100 was in the expansion previously um You're rewarded, you feel better when you upgrade the gear, but you don't feel like you fall behind. And it also feels like you get the gear from the questing right about when you need it. So I haven't encountered anything where I felt woefully underpowered, and I'm playing a traditionally squishy spec. So I think that they... I don't want to say they solved the problem, but I think the current expansion systems play better with it than the previous two. Because legendaries in uh, Legion broke too many things. Battle for Azeroth, Azerite gear broke too many things. And now you don't really have to worry about until late game. Like, you're not getting legendaries until late game. You're not getting them as you level.
0: And I also think there was a. I think there was a mistake. Um, one of the problems I had with it was that they basically made sure to take the Azerite, I mean, to take the legendary, the, not the legendary, the artifact out of Legion like at the end of Legion, your artifact stopped working. So it was just a good weapon. And then as soon as you got a better weapon, you upgraded to it, but they left legendaries as is. And they just turned them off at a a high enough level. Mm -hmm. And I, it's like, you know, they probably should have just turned them off as soon as you got to BFA. They probably shouldn't have let you keep them for, for like six levels and then turn them off because yeah, people were like, Oh God, my legendary doesn't work anymore. Now I'm getting destroyed. And that's, that's never a good feeling. Feeling like you got weaker because you leveled should never happen. Yeah. Gaining a level should never make you unhappy that you did it. So, yeah, I definitely think that this is the, the approach from Shadowlands is, is informed by these decisions.
1: Yeah. And it and it just overall, I think it feels better. Um, I think the one, I don't want to say hiccup in that plan, the one speed bump is the legendary cloak. Uh, simply because if you spend any time leveling it up, you are going to be hard-pressed to find a cloak that gives you the same amount of stats
0: as it does. Yeah, it's got a ton of stats.
1: But that's it. Like, it's it's going to be from a, a stat stick. But as our chat is pointing out, uh, there is some incentive to change over, and that is if you happen to be an engineer and can throw a glider on it, uh, or I don't know if you can do it as a non-engineer, because I never really pay attention to that, so I apologize. But uh, but you can throw a glider on a regular cloak. You cannot throw it on a legendary cloak. So it might be incentive, especially because there's lots of places that you can fall off of and die in Shadowlands. And I know this from personal experience. I I have wily coyote a few times, literally in ghost wolf form. But I think that's it. Uh, I don't think we have any more questions, unless there's any other topics you want to talk about, Matt.
0: No, I think we're pretty much good.
1: All right. Well, first of all, thank you, everybody who uh, joined us in chat. And I wanted to let you know that. Did you know Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com dot slash Blizzard Watch? Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site experience. And. As always, and I did mention this at the beginning, I'm going to mention it now, uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon, even if it's just a dollar a month. Um, Every little bit does help to keep shows like this going on a regular basis. Uh, and if you want to see more content from us or specific content, uh, being a patron and throwing it in our patrons chat is a great way to help us know what content you want to consume. If you want to hear Matt and I talk about superheroes or comic books or whatever for you know hours on end, let us know. Um but yeah and i'll let matt do his thing now with the questions
0: all right well thank you guys very much uh if you have a question for the show uh please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast of blizzard watch or head to our discord and go to the patron Q and podcast questions channel or the q questions channel both of which we check for questions several of the questions for today's show were taken from the discord and several were taken from email so we tried to be well-rounded today we even got a couple things in from chat and I want to take the moment to say everybody in chat. If you asked anything or threw back some feedback, thank you. We're trying to get that more involved, and I'm glad to see it work this week. Uh, You got anything to say before we leave, Joe?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get a little sappy for another moment here. So uh, this past week was a really hard week for me, Um, and for those of you who may have noticed, we didn't have our traditional dog barking uh, this week because last week, Tuesday, my dog, Sylvie, uh, Sylvanas, the Dirt Puppy, uh, passed into the Shadowlands. It was a very rough day and a very rough week for me. And the community, I want to thank you for all of your kind words and all of you reaching out. Um, I did see your emails. I did get your DMs. I did get your tweets. There were too many for me to reply to. Every, it, While it was a sad moment for me, that made me feel better being a part of this community and knowing that you guys are there and we can get to be a part of your lives and you, you let us uh, have you be a part of ours means a whole lot to me. So thank you from the very bottom of my heart. Um, Yeah. I really appreciate you guys.
0: I got no jokes to say after that. I'm feeling kind of like I should, because I don't really know what to do with profound emotion, but I really do think that you guys are cool. And thank you for being here for both of us. Uh, That's been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Thank you all for being here, and we'll see you next week.